Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to brand new Strength Doc podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Wesson. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast. I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, we have a brain dump of an episode for you with Dr. Charlie Weingroff. Charlie is one of the best-known physical therapists, personal trainers, and strength coaches in the fitness and athletic development industries. He's really put his dent on professional sports and also works the speaking circuits all around the world. This is truly a special episode for you guys, so make sure to take notes. Here's my conversation with Charlie Weingroff. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, we have physical therapist, personal trainer, and strength coach Charlie Weingroff with us. What's going on, Charlie? John, how are you? Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Man, this came together really quick. Uh, I know I had you on my list of people that I definitely wanted to get here on the Strength Doc podcast. And in a matter of about two hours, we went from messaging to recording. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm probably on some other lists that maybe I don't want to be a part of, but this one uh, is, is okay. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I told you I'll be I'll be traveling a lot next week and the week after, so uh, this wouldn't get done for a little bit. So uh, we got a couple minutes now, and uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see if we can have a good time here. Awesome, man. Well, everyone most likely knows who you are, what you're all about. You know, we've all read your articles, we've seen your DVDs, and you know, for the person that doesn't know who Charlie Weingroff is and what you've done in your career, can you give us just a quick synopsis? Well, you know, it's interesting you say it that way because I wonder if that's really true. I mean, I'm not a there, – there's there's times like and, – and, and I never really did or do anything that I do uh, to create this, um, you know, this somewhat uh, – this F-list celebrity that, that some of us uh, can become in the fitness profession. So uh, I, I think that, you know so, – uh, Every once in a while, I'll, I'll get a message like from a student physical therapist or or a trainer that works in a big box gym, and they're like so offended that they don't know who I am. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> like it's 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 okay. Like I don't uh uh it's it's not it's not important, especially uh in physical therapy because uh, I think the thing the the some of the practice patterns and the choices that we have are so fragmented. That there's names that people you know never heard of yet can really have a profound impact, uh, but because we we kind of you know Democrats talk to Democrats, Republicans talk to Republicans, and and, and sometimes yeah you miss some some people or you miss some quality messages. But um, uh, so thank you for the good words. I just not to, I'm not so sure everybody really knows who, who I am all the time. <laughs> well, uh, I've seen I've seen the same thing in physical therapy too. Um, even the top guys in the profession, they don't know each other. Like when you move into the fitness profession, especially out in the public, most everyone knows everything that's going on. 
but uh, I see more correlation in physical therapy as I do in like professional athletic strength coaches, physical therapists like that, because I see a lot of people behind the scenes in both physical therapy and the professional side of things, whereas the mainstream fitness public, it seems to just be out there and in your face. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fitness is interesting because there's a whole group of fitness of people that do like totally ridiculous things that, that have an incredible uh, notoriety, incredible uh, uh, following. And, and uh, I've been to conferences where I've been consulting with uh, equipment companies and uh, I've, I've said, like, dude, I, I'll never come to this again because uh, it, it's so hard for me to communicate. Now, as many years ago, I'd like to think my communication skills have improved. Uh, since then, but but yeah, they they all of these headliners at, at these conferences is like knowing yeah it's very very different than the perform better crowd and uh, the messages are 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 completely dichotomous and it's the same kind of thing like uh, yeah the the APTA crowd you know they they, they you know if you're not in that group then you may not know who some of these uh, other names are so uh, it's 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 interesting I, I tend to think that everybody deserves a chance to see if they have a a message that's of use to, to someone and then once they don't have a valuable message or demonstrate that uh, they're in the uh, Jurassic era then that's okay <laughs> and then I, I find I find myself saying because like sometimes people are surprised at at at, at, at what because I don't I don't I'm like oh yeah that's, that's great yeah cool they're like and they get the, they get the point they're like okay you really don't think highly of this person and I'm like, well, first of all, like I've only met the person a couple of times. They've always been nice to me. I have no I – th- I think sometimes we get mixed up in the difference of being like personally offended or collegiately offended. So absolutely, I can say I'm collegiately uh, offended because I don't think the same way this person does. I don't train or rehab people the same way they do. And here's my reasons why. And, uh, and they're, they're so shocked uh, because you know, it's like sometimes like, their hero isn't who they think it is. And it can be uh, – I'm like, dude, it's, 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 it's fine. Like I don't – this this so and so doesn't beat his kids. Like I don't think he's a bad person. He's just he's just a, a bad physical therapist, and he's made out to be a really good one. And who cares? Like that doesn't yeah that doesn't matter to me. And and uh, yeah that's I've I've turned down you know opportunities to be a part of certain organizations and their their conferences because it's, it's just not my thing. I don't want to I don't want to confuse people. You know because obviously I I speak strong. I feel strongly about the stuff that I'm doing. And uh, I'd like to think that the results are, are there. Um, and I think other people think they have results, except their results are like a C to, to me. I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get an A plus. So and, and when you when you only live in in mediocrity, you only know mediocrity that like you think your media, you think your version of mediocre is like really good when in fact it's it's really you know, laughable as to as to what some of these folks are doing, the time it takes to achieve certain results, and their inclusive view of the process. And maybe that's a good segue into stuff that I believe in. Is uh, you know, like, like you said, I'm a physical therapist, but um, I, I don't believe that the degree that someone has uh, is the telltale of you know how we look at human performance. There's uh, being a physical therapist might give you the opportunity to get exposed to certain type of techniques that live on a particular part of the human performance spectrum. But the bottom line is, is that you know, the the entire body you know, is is one system, and we could even talk a little bit about systems biology if that's of interest. But but my my point is that everybody it works off the same set of rules. We just know how to do different things. And I've just been very lucky. You know, number one, being a ther- physical therapist, kind of being on a fast track. You know, I, I know I, uh, I I somewhat conduct myself. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not immature. I'm just whimsical. But uh, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been a PT now for almost 17 years. So it's a uh, um, yeah we. 
we are able, I've been able to cultivate uh, a skill set in both uh, rehabilitation, maybe things that we say are very much to the left side of the spectrum, but also fitness. And I've had jobs uh, where I could focus on just one. So I could, uh, and that has helped me be, be develop and maybe uh, start to see things from a higher level, not higher as in better, but I mean actually, you know, spatially. Like if someone looks at something from higher up, uh, it, it looks much differently. And that doesn't mean you're better than somebody. It just means maybe uh, in my view, maybe what I call my model, uh, I'm able to see uh, some things uh, because I have this uh, skill set. Uh, I'm certainly not the best at both ends of the skill set, but uh, when I like to talk about things, it's, it's with both uh, medical fitness and science uh, all kind of uh, together triangulating in the same purpose. And when we can bring other individuals together, what they do well, then we can have this seemingly uh, amazing response that, that really dwarfs what we can accomplish when we're only working by ourselves. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think where you and I were cut from the same cloth is that we truly believe that movement is movement. And no matter what the credential that you have on the back end of your name, you need to be a practitioner of movement and you have to be a good communicator and a coach above all else. Well, as far as uh, uh, being around people and, and being a leader, whether it's a leader of one or a leader of many, and obviously I think leadership seems to be uh, one of the shiny new rocks that, that uh, about the books that we read and some of the people that we listen to, uh, that, that's obvious. We cannot impart – we're in the, we're in the um, uh, direct uh, expert human services. So like we, we, uh, we provide a human service to someone, but it's very direct. We have to deal with the person. Um, indirect human services and, and accountants, they, they don't have to have any kind of personality. They just have to deliver a result. Well, we have to deliver a result, but we also have to have usually very, very direct interaction. So your people skills and your leadership skills are obviously paramount. And I think that that transcends lots of lots of different professions. Uh, but, but clearly for, for what we do in human performance, I agree with you uh, that movement, and unfortunately that's a very fuzzy word in terms of definition, but uh, but the way the way that I would de define it, there, there's absolutely nothing that we can accomplish uh, in human performance if we cannot achieve requisite joint positions. Now, if we can't move uh, into the position that we require, uh, then there's no fitness technique that works. There's no motor skill acquisition that works, and we have to regress into improving the motion and finding out why the movement is not doing what it's doing and. Uh, yeah, the, it, it kind of segues into a big part of my model. Um, I think there's only four ways that we can fail. Uh, if a task is not successful, there's only four reasons, four big buckets, if you will. Uh, when we when we read some of the things of uh, um, you know, some of these self-help guys, they say people that put things into buckets, you know, maybe try to make things sound real easy. Uh, the first bucket is. Um, is our, is our equipment. So if we're talking about athletics, equipment makes sense. But quite frankly, it's the external environment around us. If it's not compatible to the end task, you lose. It doesn't matter. Like if, if you have shoes on and you have to skate, you lose. Like there, there's, there's a degree of failure. Um, if your equipment doesn't fit right, uh, if your golf club is too long, if the baseball bat is too heavy, uh, if, if you don't have chalk you know, when you're trying to lift a, an old dumpy bar, um, the, these are all things that are that if we analyze things from as high as possible, we should certainly identify that maybe we have an easy solution simply by changing our footwear 
or something along those lines or, or changing the environment or, you know, if, if you could be the most robust fit character in the world. And if you step in a ditch, you're going to blow out your knee. It, it was the equipment's fault. It was the environment's fault. Uh, and, and maybe sometimes you cannot identify these things ahead of time, but it's still a reason. Uh, the second reason is technical and tactical. So if we're, if we're simply doing something wrong, maybe we just don't know how to do it correctly. And that's very reasonable. Like we have a preferred motor strategy and it's learned. And that can be from expert level skills in sports or it can just be how we walk. Uh, there is a motor strategy to how we walk, and that motor strategy may or may not be conducive to performance or health. And that's just a very realistic view on maybe I'm just doing it wrong or I'm not doing it in a particular way to yield the success that I'm looking for. So, uh, again, this that technical and tactical can fit. Uh, into you know lots of different genres of who can uh, impart their expertise there. If we're talking about technical skills of sport, that's a sport coach. If we're talking about fundamental human movement, acquiring those motor skills, maybe it's a physical therapist or a really keen coach, strength coach. So, so you have uh, equipment and technical and tactical. And then the next category is biological power. You just don't have enough juice in the tank. Uh, you're not strong enough. You're not fit enough. You don't have enough endurance. Your nutrition is garbage. Your readiness is not appropriate for that day. Uh, these are all different pieces to the puzzle that the words start to resonate more with a fitness professional or maybe a physical therapist. But you cannot uh, – when, when you get to the fourth category, uh, I call it the four windows of success because failure is a little bit negative. So you try to say it the better way. Um, but the fourth category relates back to all three. So the equipment – and the environment, that kind of is off to the side because usually uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to modulate. But if you're looking to acquire a new motor skill uh, or you're looking to uh, develop fitness, which requires motor skills, if your joints can't get into the right position to absorb and adapt to stress, then there's nothing else that you can do. Like, you have to choose something else. Now, we're very lucky that there's usually a fair and often a fairly large, usually larger than we think, bandwidth of, of joint positions that are acceptable to absorb and adapt to stress for the goals that we want. But if you're, if you're outside, it, it, maybe there's eight ways to throw a javelin. If your joint position is not conducive with those eight ways, then you cannot learn to throw a javelin and you will not develop those motor skills. And maybe if you believe that uh, the barbell snatch is a great way to, to get to develop biological power throwing the javelin. If your arms can't get overhead, then you cannot do the snatch. You have to pick something else. You have to go to plan B. So I agree with you um, in identifying movement as the primary piece to the puzzle. Now, it is only 25% of the puzzle, uh, but nonetheless, I think it holds more importance because you cannot accomplish uh, what you want unless you have the joint position uh, to do and, and it's very incumbent upon measuring that so that you don't get into a, a training process where you're doomed to fail anyway. And uh, if you don't have the motion, there, that, there's not a commentary on what technique you're going to employ to, to achieve it or to restore it. You're just saying, okay, I know that I need you know, 180 degrees of shoulder flexion uh, in order for me to, to train the uh, kettlebell strict press. And why are you picking the kettlebell strict press? Because you, you want to. Like that, you, whatever your goals of your fitness program, you think the kettlebell uh, strict press is the answer. So there's requisite motions and we need to do something to establish the motion because there is no way you will have an efficient – general adaptation syndrome, a reliable general adaptation syndrome, if you're employing 
motor skill or fitness uh, uh, te techniques when you don't have the ideal joint position. Uh, you can still get strong with bad form, but it's a much different cost. And if you're okay with that cost, then you go about your business. But, uh, but you should, you, we must look at movement first before anything else. So we have this very, very keen cost of doing business for what it is that whatever it is that we want to do uh, in human performance. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I love those four buckets that you just named off with the equipment, the technical, tactical, the biological powers. But I think for the general fitness public out there and even trickling down into high performance athletics, there's too much of an emphasis on that equipment, on those external external factors, those environmental factors, and not enough about the actual requisite movement, that technical technical that you were talking about. What do you think about that? Um, I, 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 would, uh, I cannot agree or disagree because um, uh, there's probably situations uh, where we think people do and then there's probably situations where they think what I'm saying is a bunch of hooey. Uh, and, and, but but uh, what, what, I, what I can say is, is to really just reiterate what I said before. If I want to teach you how to do something, yeah, the, what we have to be able to agree upon is that what, sh what, it, what it's going to look like when we're done, if we agree upon that, then there's a degree of joint motion that must be present in the body. And you cannot teach uh, a joint that is uh, fibrotic, um, a joint that is under what I call neuro-locked, where the body just perceives threat and is not going to allow the motion uh, and there's different dozens and dozens of different techniques that can achieve that. Um, you, I cannot teach you how to throw a baseball uh, if you have 80 degrees of external rotation. That's what I'm saying. You can take the best sport coach uh, or the best uh, um, fitness trainer who he, he knows to how to coach Olympic lifting better than anybody. If your knee doesn't bend you know, uh, beyond a certain point, you have to now change what your deep catch would be like. Uh, that, that's really what I'm trying to say. Like we're looking for the four windows of success. And if we have failure, then which one of those four categories? And I think, what, I think maybe what you're seeing is that there's people that are experts in equipment. There's people that are experts in coaching, uh, motor skills, technical and tactical. There's people that are experts in developing biological power. And then there's people that are experts in just restoring fundamental joint positions. Whoever you are, you think that's the whole thing. Like there's people that um, we were at a conference recently and it was one of the, uh, the MLS uh, uh, strength coaches and it was just laughable. Like this dude was – he was, you know, there's certain words I don't like to use so I'm not going to say it but like he was a movement whatever. And, movement and guru? He was just uh, – no, no, no. It's a much negative word that I don't prefer to use but um, uh, it's uh, – it, um, but, but like he, he was looking for things that like did, did this person obviously has no clue how to train anybody because he's just looking – you know, for fundamental joint positions. And, you know, it's just nonsense. Uh, so I think it's, it's any one of those four, my, my whole point of, of discussing like things like the four windows of success or these other lists of buckets that I have is that it's never just one thing. And if you're really, really good at one thing, then look, but, but we should have some level of valuation that should tell us, okay, it's not this, it's not this. Well then, Hey, it's gotta be this. Um, you know, and, 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 uh, and the interplay between, all the different pieces to the puzzle. So if somebody's not throwing a baseball hard enough, it is very fair that if I improve their fundamental joint motions and then reteach them how to throw a baseball, 
then they should throw it harder. Well, in theory, that should work, but we should also understand that maybe it doesn't work all the time. Um, it depends. It always depends, and there's always a risk, and you, you can always uh, make someone slower or less powerful by changing their fundamental joint positions. Uh, and then we have to also look at other components that we see in track and field, like stiffness, uh, which can be very, very valuable. And that person may appear to not have fundamental joint ability. I'm not talking about soft tissue. I'm talking about um, the, the, the joint itself, because if the joint itself doesn't move, your soft tissue doesn't have a chance. Uh, so there's lots of there's always going to be a little bit of rules uh, that break the rules sometimes. But uh, if we look at everything, it, it's more of like a measure of humility uh, than anything where you it, it doesn't have to be what I want it to be. And what I'm good at, what I'm passionate about may not be the solution all the time. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned uh, a standardized way to look at things and objectify things. You and I are both uh, people that have been schooled in the functional movement systems, the FMS and the SFMA. Now, in your current practice in the, in the management of your clients and your athletes, where does the FMS and the SFMA fit into your overall evaluation and then your progressions? It's, uh, so I like to say we just trust the system. And uh, any individual that I see that has no pain, I will use the FMS and I will begin to establish the list of joint positions. Um, I have to say it's my opinion, but it's not really my opinion. Uh, there is no joint position uh, for any general physical preparedness technique, drill, exercise that I know of, and I don't know everything, uh, that the joint position is not cleared from the FMS, general physical preparedness. Um, now, there are many joint positions that are not cleared by the FMS, and you would never know, for instance, in, uh, if you have uh, a three on your shoulder mobility and a two or a three on your rotary stability, you would really have no reason to further look at thoracic rotation. But you could have much less than 60 degrees of thoracic rotation and still to achieve those scores, but you need 60 degrees of thoracic rotation to be an elite golfer. So we also need something else beyond. So, so when I say the joint positions for general physical preparedness, um, that's not quite the same for special or specific physical preparedness. So we start there. And my FMS, again, I don't know how, I don't really care how other people do it. I'm so over it. It's like this endless, endless uh, nonsense of talking to people who are just angry. Uh, <laughs> the, the, and, and, and hey, I, I'm pretty good at being angry too. Um, but I'm trying to, to, to not, I'm just saying, this is how I do it. Uh, this is how I learned it. This is how I know the real deal does it. And um, you know, I think it, it's almost like I have to apologize uh, all the time, and, and and it's actually very flattering because when I talk about the FMS in a, in 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 a forum where I'm not necessarily required to say what the company you know manual is supposed to say, I get things like, "Wow, I never heard somebody explain it like that," or like, "Wow, like okay, I get it now." It's like, "Wow, I never really thought of it that way," and uh, that's fine. I'm not I'm not trying to win a contest. I'm not trying to get anybody to use the FMS that doesn't want to. I'm answering your questions, and and I don't think there's any. There's no, there's no power lift. There's no Olympic lift. There's no, um, yeah. There's, there's no general skill. Now, when we talk about the specific techniques of high levels or even just recreational levels of sport, no, the FMS does not clear those joint positions, and we need another level of screening uh, for that. And let's say uh, the only commercial one that I'm aware of uh, is, is for golf, is the TPI performance screen. So now let's say the person's a golfer. If they don't have pain, yes, they're going to get the FMS. So now I know, you know what I can do to train them. 
And then we're going to get the TPI performance screen. So now I can communicate ideal with the golfer, uh, the golf pro, so that if he says that there's a technical and tactical problem, then we can determine is it going to be solved with golf training, meaning he's going to teach him how to do something, or do we, do we require more joint position, uh, more robust uh, general physical preparedness and a movement profile. So uh, if someone doesn't have pain, then we'll use the SFMA. Uh, the SFMA also will give us some guidance as to where they can go in fitness, where should we expect them to succeed, but I do not think it is as complete as the FMS for a training profile. It is much more complete to identify painful and non-painful contributors to neuromuscular pain. And uh, so everybody will, uh, you know, the, bo both models uh, do the same thing in terms of uh, telling us can joints get into the right positions uh, to absorb and adapt to stress. Uh, the FMS will tell us if joints can sustain fitness, can they sustain motor skill acquisition, or do they require mobility? Uh, the SFMA also has those four, fitness, motor skills, mobility, but also will indicate where a painful modulation procedure um, is required for the joint. So I look at those two models at the joint level. Can joints get in the right position to absorb and adapt to stress? And the reason that we look at that is twofold. Number one, philosophically, the best way to, to win a debate is to find this common ground that you agree upon. There's no way anyone can disagree that if you want to coach fitness or you want to coach motor skills, the joints actually have to do what you want them to do at a level. And, and we should all agree upon that. If we can't agree upon that, maybe there's like two or three other ways I could try to explain it. If you don't agree, okay, like if you think you can teach somebody to, to catch uh, a, 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 a squat snatch, and the person only has 110 degrees of knee flexion, then you're, you're, you're a goof. Like, like this, this doesn't make any sense. Um, now, do you need the FMS to measure knee flexion? You don't. But we're looking to get this complete profile for all the things that we want to do in training as to uh, what is uh, – so that, that's the first reason as to why we, we look at it from a joint level. And then secondly is, is uh, we, we can now bring together – um, as many different experts as we can because the person that's really, really good at applying fitness strategies to a joint system, he may not know or he or she may not know what to do if that joint system is in pain. Um, you know, the person that's really, really good at changing pain, he may not be good at changing motion uh, of a, uh, a non-painful joint. And that person might not be really good at giving you a set of motor skills to improve hip mobility once the joint competency has been restored or was always there in the first place. So when we look at the FMS and SFMA, we are best positioning what this individual does well. And, and I think I th – I I've never heard anybody like admit this. And of course, they wouldn't. Um, but I've talked to some people that I really, really respect and they give you that – that like that head shake, like wow, like no one's ever explained it like that before. Uh, people who I really, really respect, and 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 and, and I go to their courses uh, to learn things. The F, when when you run the model that way, uh, it, it'll it will indemnify what it's going to best position what you do, which will then indemnify what you do well, but then it's going to incriminate what you don't do well. And like like for instance, um, we if fitness is uh, even part of the solution. For long-term rehab, a dry needle cannot achieve fitness. You know, so you know you're you're missing something. And now that doesn't mean you have to know everything, but you cannot, you know, just just because you like doing dry needling, that doesn't mean is going to solve 
all of the different requisites that this human system is just showing you that it's ready for. Uh, now, some people don't want to do fitness. I'm using other examples. For instance, um, uh, dry needling does not uh, create uh, motor skills. Now, you might change how you move very, very rapidly from a well-placed needle, but that's really an adjustment. That's not a neurological adaptation. Over time, for most people, that, that arm is going to go back to where it was before. You then have to embark on the motor skill uh, acquisition process, which includes active exercise. It's, it's how we learn. Um, but sometimes we'll use like a needle uh, or our hands or something else to reset the system so that you can then reload the system. Uh, and these are words that are commercially associated with the SFMA. Because not everything does everything, but you like doing it. And then you think your stuff is better than everything. And then you'll use the evaluation model that comes with your favorite stuff. And then you wind up missing things. And that's the value of functional movement system, in my opinion, that it's a systematic approach. What is a systematic approach? It's an approach that doesn't miss anything. And it doesn't mean you're good enough or you're smart enough or whatever. It doesn't mean you do everything. But you should be able to see everything at that high level that I was talking about before. Remember, high level doesn't mean you're better. High, high level is more towards, you know, you're able to see things um, and then best position all of your resources, which may include other individuals. Yeah, we're on the same page with the FMS and the SFMA uh, just being just one tiny portion of an overall treatment strategy or diagnostic strategy when it comes to managing patients and clients. Uh, something you said had me wondering whether, you know, using something along the lines of a TPI screen for a golfer, I know you're a really turned on guy and you're definitely a world-class power lifter. So I'm wondering if you have power lifters coming in as clients and what kind of specific screens you do above and beyond uh, the FMS and the SFMA that really translates well into uh, having those requisite joint positions you're talking about to have good success in the big three movements. The, uh, there, there's nothing that um – so again, like the, the oh, well, I'll say, I'll finish what I'm saying. There is no powerlifting, you know, specific screen required in my opinion, because those are all general movements, and the joint positions to succeed at powerlifting, I believe, are covered by symmetrical twos. So that doesn't mean every single person is going to be. Sometimes that things kind of uh, slip through the cracks. Now, um, does a two or a three on shoulder mobility mean that you can get the bar as low on your back as possible? No. So uh, except if you cannot get the bar low on your back and you have a two or three, the reason that you can't do it is not because the joints can't get in that position. You just haven't learned that skill. Uh, that, that's my opinion. So um, I'm trying to think of other things in, in powerlifting because clearly in the FMS we are looking at, at, at wrist motion. We look at it in shoulder mobility. You look at it in the extension clearing test. So holding the bar uh, on your back. Is, uh, is 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 uh, from a wrist extension uh, degree uh, is is covered. Um, uh, now, nah, like like there there's 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 no need to go to go deeper. Um, the one thing that I might suggest is I know this is what I do, and maybe it's just an assumption. I didn't mention it before. Uh, I will always do the ankle mobility uh, uh, screen, regardless of the of the score. So you could have a twenty one. Uh, you actually you can't have a 21 and, and not have ankle motion, but you can have symmetrical twos uh, and not have ankle mobility. 
but and clearly we will require ankle mobility if we're going to choose to deadlift conventionally or squat narrow stance. So, um, but again, I, I do that. I do like eight move, uh, eight movements in the FMS. I don't do the seven. The score reflects the seven, but the score is not so important. Um, the, it's just understanding can joints get in the right position. But I'm trying to think. I, I don't think of anything in power. I can't really think of anything in powerlifting that um, that if you fail at the technique, it's not because the joint can't get in the right position. So now we have to decide if you, is your failure because you're too weak, uh, you don't have the proper work capacity. Or do you need to just learn how to do the lifts properly and then let's run it and then we just have to then hunt and peck and take advantage of dynamic systems uh, for the best way to learn the lifts. Um, I can't really think of too much that would be – I mean powerlifting is just general general training. There's, there's the getting a bar down on your back. Um, clearly if we're looking to arch in the bench press, we should have an idea of what that individual can do uh, from the extension clearing test. Um, I can't, you know, if we're looking at squat ass to grass, you have the flexion clearing test. Uh, hmm. Yeah, ankle dorsiflexion though is is something that we should look at beyond the FMS traditionally. Yeah, you nailed it. And uh, those are the two tests that I personally use with my clients above and beyond the FMS are the half kneeling ankle mobility test with the dowel, but also something mm-hmm. that I touched upon on T Nation a couple months back uh, in my article, Squatter Shoulder: The Cause and the Cure. Uh, it was a bilateral external rotation from a 90-90 position at the shoulders with a dowel in hand to see where the optimum bar position could possibly be and where some restrictions or motor control deficits may lie in the shoulder and the upper quadrant just to make sure that we can totally maximize the stability of the thoracic spine and shoulder girdle pertaining to any strength athlete that's going to be squatting with the bar on their back. I think that's, I think that makes it's totally defensible. Uh, I, I tend to think that that fits into the first time you get under the bar, uh, you tell the person to, to get the bar as low as you can. And if they can't, um, if they had a two or a three, we should assume that it's not because the shoulder simply can't do it. But I, yeah, that makes, that makes, that makes, uh, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Now, uh, you, you mentioned something before that I also want to touch upon. Uh, one of the biggest debates going on right now in the fitness industry is this idea that everyone needs to squat ass to grass, deep squats for everyone. Now, I, uh, I, I was unaware that was a uh, debate. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about athletic populations here, but really when you get on to uh, the general fitness public, especially with the Olympic lifters and the popularization of CrossFit and cross-training methods of the sort, um, you know, deep squatting is almost like a badge of honor that I've seen. But in all actuality, uh, you know, that has a lot to do with hip structure, anthropometrics, but also motor control abilities. Uh, how do you assess for people's squat depth to make sure that they have just pristine movement and uncompensated movement when it comes to the pelvis and the lower back? Well, uh, again, we would be, so when we look at the, uh, the fundamental movements of squatting, we have to first to say how we're going to squat. So uh, if you're going to squat ass to grass, then you're talking about narrow stance, knee dominant technique. Uh, it's not, it's typically uh, not humanly possible to take a, uh, a hip dominant strategy and, and get, you know, lower than, uh, than a certain point. So what are the fundamental movements? Well, obviously you need ankle dorsiflexion, probably 40 degrees plus. You need uh, knee flexion. So depending how big their hamstring is, where you need between 120 and 140 degrees, you know, give or take, uh, we need you know 120 plus of, of hip flexion. 
Uh, we need, you know, we, you could get away with a, a stiff spine. Uh, we need some degree of thoracic extension if we're going to put the bar on our back. Uh, we need a degree of shoulder mobility to put the bar on our back. So we're going to take all those movements and tie them back to the FMS. So if I need this pelvis control, then I need a two on an active straight leg raise. If I'm going to put a big bar, uh, so we, uh, we need a two on shoulder mobility. We should clear thoracic and shoulders. Uh, if we're going to be stiff, uh, we should look for a two on the push-up. Uh, and then we need the deep squat. And then, of course, ankles, even if they have a two on the deep squat. So if they don't have a two on all of those things, they do not need a two on rotary. They do not need a two on the, on the lunge. And they do not need a two on the, uh, on the, on the step. And when I say they don't need a two, you really don't need a two in anything. You just have to do the deeper screens because sometimes you can get a one and the joint position is still there, uh, which is the built-in checks of doing the FMS correctly, which very, very few people do. So let's say you have everything that I just mentioned, ankles, knees, hips, stiff spine, T-spine, and shoulders, uh, maybe wrists as well. So if you, if you have all of those things, then you know, we're going to you know, then coach and what I – the, the – the, the, um, the verbal cue that I use for the first time in trying to get someone to squat is uh, I want them to think that there's a hook uh, coming out of their head and they're trying to pull that cable down as low as they can go. I let them go wherever they go because obviously uh, anthropometry of the hips is, uh, is something that we're, we're likely going to miss. Um, and if they look good, uh, I want to coach parallel. I want to coach below parallel. Uh, I have absolutely no reason to coach uh, lower than parallel uh, unless we're then getting into competitive Olympic lifting. And I feel okay with my ability to coach Olympic lifting, but I can't coach, you know, like somebody like Greg Everett, who we were out visiting in San Francisco. I mean, I can't coach an elite, you know, Olympic lifter. Um, but there's a good chance that uh, if, if someone has all of those motions, then they can be coached. So uh, do you need to squat ass to grass? I, I, don't, I, I don't understand that. That uh, uh, doesn't make any sense. Uh, even if you could keep uh, a neutral pelvis, which is incumbent when you've got major wheels on your back, I, I don't know like, why you would have to do that. I mean, is it a badge of honor? Look, do, I, there's stuff that I do that, that is not useful, but I think it's cool to do. So I get it. But if you're going to go ass to grass without those requisite abilities, uh, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. And if that's your bag, then go get it. Go get after it. But I, don't, I wouldn't understand why for general population. Uh, and, and in fact, a competitive, the only reason a competitive Olympic lifter uh, would, would go that low uh, when they catch the bar is so they can put more wheels on the bar. The bar doesn't have to go as high. So then they can duck under it and, and they catch the bar in this – quasi-stable position um you know again that's a that we're looking at almost a different set of rules because this is now competitive activities competitive activities all bets are off you know you go do whatever you got to do to win uh but in general i would like i don't i don't know the reason um that would have value um i think one of the reasons that is important to at least squat to parallel is is uh at least for athletes is that if we look at 90 90 uh, or at least below 90-90 of the hip and knee, and and then we, we, we look at that as point one, and we look at point two, which is standing vertically, halfway in the middle is where the athletic stance is, uh, whatever our sport is. You know, we're usually, you know, somebody get into athletic position. Okay, well, that's usually halfway in between just breaking parallel and standing. 
So when the body uh, has the proprioception to recognize that those joint positions are capable, then the person can get into that position without this high levels of neurological fatigue. For people that can't squat to parallel, they can physically get into the position of what we, we call, quote unquote, the athletic position, but they wind up becoming very, very fatigued because their, their, their uh, neurological buffer zone, which is just something I just made up, uh, but yeah, hopefully it makes sense, it, 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 your body's always going to try to find the middle of what it feels is easy. So you don't need to be able to go deeper than that because the middle is the athletic position. If, if you're trying to win some kind of wall sit contest, maybe you do need to be able to squat you know, below, you know, be able to you know, d deliver incredible amounts of force uh, deep in the hole. If someone's comfortable going deep into the hole and squats ass the grass, there's nothing wrong with that. You just got to use good form. I mean, concerns about meniscal stuff with you know, squatting deep, that, that's nonsense. Um, you know, squatting bad you know, deep. Is, is, is when you run into uh, meniscus injuries, or et cetera. So I, I don't know. Is it a badge of honor? Look, I, can, I do Van Damme splits. You know, that's also not – I just don't think it's it, – it, I'm using good form. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not doing something that uh, you know, has a mechanical disadvantage. I can just do shit. You know, like it's, uh, um, so, hey, I'm not going to decide what's a badge of honor to somebody. But there's no need for for uh, ideal or elite human performance outside of uh, Olympic lifting, because uh, you, know, you can do you can do Olympic lifting and not catch the bar deeply. And uh, I don't know, you know, that's what I believe in. What's going on, guys? I want you to head over to drjohnrussin.com forward slash get coached. We are taking coaching programs to the next level up here in Madison, but also remotely on an online training platform. DrJohnRussin.com and our staff are truly bringing you innovative e-coaching programs built to fit any goal in any individual. Whether years in the iron game have left you a little bit banged up and looking for new solutions to keep on moving forward, or you're a high-level athlete, figure competitor, or bodybuilder, our programming over at DrJohnRussin.com has you covered. For the fraction of the cost of a random personal trainer at your local gym, you can become an online coaching client and take your workouts, nutrition, and lifestyle to the next level. This is no cookie cutter online program or the programs that you're used to seeing in this month's fitness magazine. This is intelligently designed, custom built programming using cutting edge methodology and having daily interactions with me, Dr. John Russin. The only question remains is, are you ready to take that next step to train pain-free, to achieve the fitness and health goals that you've always dreamed of, and do it all for less the cost of an average personal training session? Head over to drjohnrussin.com forward slash get coached. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. And, you know, speaking of those Van Damme splits, uh, Charlie, don't you know uh, stretching is dead? <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. This is not exactly uh, uh, true, but um, uh, no, no, I'm yeah. just baiting you on that one because I know you have a lot to say about uh, stretching and the mechanics of stretching and uh, obviously the results of it. Yeah, just 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 like movement, it's a uh, it's a word that has so many definitions, and um, the most important thing to understand is that whatever you call stretching, you you are not stretching anything. 
And the only way, like, let's say you feel you can move more, and in your mind, this thing is longer uh, than it was before, the only way to add sarcomeres in series is to hold the stretch for upwards of 30 minutes. And no one does that, so you're not. Except for you doing the splits on stage, right? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not holding it for 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 30 minutes, and uh, you know, maybe that's why you know, tr- true traditional yoga uh, works. I don't know, um, but no, it, it just depends what we call stretching. And um, and again, stretching will not work uh, unless unless we have requisite joint position. No matter what you call stretching. Now, when you break down uh, your mobility work, you know, another one of those words, those key words, um, what are your big uh, one or two uh, means of enhancing mobility? Uh, hmm. Well, the, uh, I, think, I think it's important to determine, um, okay, what is your standard? And, and then if you're, if you're south of your standard, uh, how do you uh, restore your what, what it is that you're looking for? Well, which what what is your target structure uh, towards improving mobility, which is the nervous system's abil- uh, allowance of joint motion without external um, without external influence? Meaning, can I come up to you laying down and move you through a certain range? That means the joint position exists. That doesn't mean you can do it. Um, but if it exists and you can't do it standing, you really do have the mobility. Uh, you just don't have the control. So we're going to use a motor skill acquisition um, technique to, to what may appear to be to prove mobility. But it's really not a mobility issue. Um, uh, if we see – let's say we go up to you and you can't move it. In every, every position possible, uh, the joint is still south. And it's very consistent across the board, across all the different postures that you might test someone in. Then we're going to say this is a joint mobility issue. Now, here's the catch. You can take a joint mobility technique. So we know things like Mulligan and Maitland and maybe some of our soft tissue techniques that are geared towards the capsule. Um, there's also active exercise that can be um, some, some uh, tension techniques of uh, isometrics that, that, can, that can really be targeting uh, capsular motion. So you see we're taking all these like, very direct physiological approaches towards improving a joint mobility issue. When you've got a good hand on some really powerful techniques, one that I'm trained in is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, um, like something like reflex locomotion, which is a part of that model, uh, you can change. It really wasn't a joint mobility dysfunction because if the joint uh, is fibrotic, um, there's no neurological technique. So you see where we're targeting the, the soft tissue itself and then getting to the brain, we can skip the, uh, these, these, these local targets peripherally and target the brain centrally. There's other techniques out there that, that certainly um, are very powerful that can target the brain. If those techniques worked, it was never a joint problem in the first place. It was always a, a fundamental motor skill. So we could have a very direct uh, joint technique like Maitland or Mulligan or some other things. Um, there's some soft tissue techniques that we might be told uh, are targeting this particular tissue. Everything ultimately is, is, is targeting the brain. Um, but there's nothing wrong with having a belief of like what you're doing um, is affecting this peripheral target because ultimately everything gets to the brain. But you can best position what it is that you do, like what techniques do you know. So there's things like DNS that ignore the periphery and there's probably a particular end field that should take you to a neuro-locked technique uh, like DNS. Um, you have the joint and again there's, there's certain tests we can do that will lead us to believe that it's a joint mobility issue. Um, but if you try a DNS technique, 
and it works, it was never a joint issue in the first place because it couldn't have been this fibrotic uh, situation, this this uh, um, this physiologically changed tissue because physiologic tissue doesn't it doesn't change that fast. It doesn't change in a matter of seconds or minutes. It, it was always this uh, neural locked uh, situation. So it doesn't mean it wasn't a joint mobility issue. You can call it whatever you want. Um, I think some people out there think that, well, if you call it a joint mobility dysfunction, then it has to be a joint technique that changes it. No, it's just best bucketing what it is that you're seeing based on your end fields because not everybody has the same techniques. And these people that get on their high horse because they know techniques – that seemed to train centrally more than peripherally, they're like, oh, no, it's not a joint dysfunction, so the SFMA is wrong. No, you idiot. This is just uh, – uh, it's just what about, what about the person that doesn't know what you know and they only know mulligan? You know, and they both work. And that you both get into a point that you then uh, can acquire motor skills. Um, if, if it's a different kind of end feel, um, then we'll say it's a soft tissue and the same thing can apply where we can apply central techniques to change soft tissue tone or we can provide uh, local techniques, say, you know, manual therapies, uh, etc. Um, closing joint symptoms is going to be a big piece. So when we look at um, you know, which mobility technique we're going to choose, uh, where do I feel my stress at the at end range? Uh, do, as I close the joint, let's, let's use the hip, the hip flexion. So do I feel that pinch in my groin or on the anterior side of my hip or do I feel some kind of sensation, stretch, pain even um, on the back side of my hip through my glutes and or my hamstrings? You want to feel it on the back side. That means the joint is functioning and it's allowing the soft tissue to be the limiting factor. What do you have in your soft tissue techniques? Do you have your manual therapy? Do you have your needles? Do you have your central stuff, you know, breathing, etc.? If that doesn't work, then you probably have to dig in a little bit and then address this more histologically. We have to change the direction of the tissue, and we can do that with you know varying types of uh, um, tension techniques. You know, just put the posi- person in a position to succeed, and then we'll talk to the brain through high levels of tension. And that because when we talk about um, what what soft tissue really responds to. It responds to force, tension, um, whatever word makes sense to you. Like it doesn't. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't trick a soft tissue to changing its uh, lines of of collagen and elastin. You have to demand it. You have to create it with tension. So you see that technique might come before or after. It's just a matter of what skill set you have, um, and then how do you jump over that hurdle of then saying that, yes, I do have the proper joint position and now I'm going to acquire the motor skills so I never have to deal with these mobility drills ever again for the purposes of, of improving motion. You can do your mobility drills whenever you want, but if you don't need to do it, you're not doing anything except just like stimulating some mechanoreceptors in a warm-up, which again, into itself might, might be a very valuable thing, uh, but you're not, you're not improving mobility uh, if you don't need mobility in the first place. So it's uh, yeah, it's this big, big, big circle, big puzzle, and everything just all relates together. So, um, but to answer your question, to go back, what's the best mobility drills? Well, you need a, you probably need a neuro technique, you need a joint technique, you need a soft tissue technique, and maybe you could also say you need a trigger point technique. Right on, and and you're definitely one of uh, 
you know, a number of people that are really putting a lot of emphasis on those tension techniques like you called them. A couple episodes ago on Strength Doc Podcast, we had Dr. Joel Seedman on, and uh, Joel's a PhD out of the University of Georgia, and his dissertation was really focused around post-activation potentiation using eccentric isometrics in the way that it potentiated the nervous system, but also enhanced uh, mobility as well at local joints. And that's something that I've been using in my gym and my clinical practice for a number of years with ultimate success. But uh, I, I was really glad to hear that you're using similar tension techniques as well. Yeah, they, they, it's, just, it's just physiology and neurology. And um, yeah, I, I'm not offended by people putting names, you know, weird names to things or, as long as they admit it. You know, it's, uh, this is just stuff that martial artists have been doing forever. And, um, you know, Pavel showed us this stuff uh, in, in the 90s. Uh, Dr. Andreo Spina is, has a fantastic model of putting these things together. And he kind of puts his own little words to it um, because he's trying to brand a model. And it's, and it's a brilliant, brilliant model. Uh, I think sometimes when we put words to things, like it creates this um, message of seclusion. Like, oh, no, you have to do it this way. You know, it, it, this stuff works. And, and whatever you call it or wherever you learned it, is irrelevant like just do stuff that works and then stop trying to like when something doesn't work don't do it like just because you like it you know and that's what people do like they just keep doing stuff because they their their hero told them to do it you know when in fact uh, in these neurological techniques it takes six seconds to do but they're waiting six weeks to you know putting a stupid rubber band around their ankle and trying to increase mobility if that drill is going to work it's going to work in a second it's going to work like very very quickly yeah, but you and you hear about the two times when it works. You don't hear about the eighteen times that the person you know is now uh, has uh, they, they have uh, some kind of uh, you know taller you know osteophyte and now they have to get surgery all because they you know, insisted on taking physiological time frames uh, for neurological techniques that could have been achieved with these tension strategies. Yeah, for sure, man. And speaking about things that uh, in our industry are just written in stone. Uh, one of the things that really drew me to your work was your idea of training equals rehab, rehab equals training. And it's a super simple terminology, but it just speaks volumes for the kind of hybrid coaches that uh, some of us are out in this industry now. You know, we have uh, multiple different educational levels behind our names, but also we, we look at things a little bit differently, uh, more holistically, I think, when you have those multiple hats on at a time where you can really just cut through the BS in one different train of thought in our industry and really look at somebody for their ultimate human performance. So uh, how do you define that training equals rehab? Um, I, I feel very strongly yeah, that um, yeah, I, I, I'm very much responsible, at least partly responsible along with many others, for a lot of things that I don't care for that I think – um, no matter what I said uh, or continue to say, people will still interpret uh, training equals rehab in, in the way that they so choose. Um, it didn't mean that trainers you know, should be doing rehab skills. And it certainly <laughs> didn't mean that these um, you know, uh, uh, healthcare providers should be implementing fitness strategies. What I meant was what we talked about earlier of creating this highly um, – omniscient view, like you just said, uh, uh, holistic, uh, creating this view that allows us to best uh, position what it is that we do well. And when we look at things from a, um, a highly scientific uh, approach, 
everybody just is introduced to stressors and is, uh, is, is asked to adapt. And if we apply this approach in a systematic uh, fashion, we'll get a reliable response. It's very, very simple. So I said that rehab, if we, you know, because when we say rehab, we think it's healthcare provider. And when we say training, we think it's fitness provider. But, you know, if we just reach, if we, if we reach, if we change some of the words around and we say that if you have to, if you have a quality that is not industry standard, then maybe we call it, you know, we have to restore it. And maybe those are typically strategies that are best employed by a healthcare provider. I don't care if you're in pain or not, because if your shoulder doesn't hurt, you typically don't go to a Cairo or a PT. You're, you go to the gym. Well, if your shoulder doesn't hurt, but it doesn't move as well as required for your fitness choices, then who's going to change it? Like who, who has the best skills to improve shoulder mode in a non-painful situation? And that answer is typically a PT, a chiro, massage therapist is not the trainer. The trainer can follow instructions, you know, but if you can't get your hands on somebody, you're not the best person anymore. Conversely, if your quality is industry standard and it's time to improve it, then, you know, then the fitness professional is typically the best person out there. So it was meant to demonstrate like this honest and fair division of labor. And I think what has happened is that it gave like motivation, healthy motivation uh, to some fitness folks to start getting their hands into rehab, which was not what I wanted. And it doesn't really matter <laughs> what I want. You know, it's, it, it's ultimately whatever. It's, you know, the check's still clear, you know, when, when people buy the DVD. Um, and then you, but you saw the other thing too. You, you see these, these jackbag chiropractors who, uh, you know, start walking around with a, a little yellow Pikachu kettlebell and a, and a bent wrist just because they saw Dan John talk about uh, uh, loaded carry. <laughs> and, and these are just fraudulent, fraudulent individuals. And uh, you know, so it worked both ways. And I think my message gave a sense of empowerment. And that's really not what I was trying to accomplish. What I was trying to accomplish was demonstrate that everyone can work together. And quite frankly, that first DVD was really generated um, as a project for a private gym where we were trying to ultimately show personal trainers uh, how they could keep their client while they were injured. Uh, and I think if we use the SFMA, we start to see like, okay, these are the joint systems that can support uh, stressors that are typically applied by a healthcare provider. And these joints, you know, under the direction of a healthcare provider, um, you, know, you know, could be employed by a personal trainer or a strength coach. And uh, the, the real essence of, of training equals rehab is one of the principles, not, not, not one of the 10 principles, but a, a commentary that, that we hear Gray and, and Brett talk about quite a bit is that until proven otherwise, your pain is medical. Yeah, like, and I can talk about this very loudly because, you know, I had shoulder surgery two years ago, just like any legit power lifter, you know, we're going to have surgery as the way it goes. And, um, you know, my rehab was fine. I could lift my arm like a couple of days because I just got it cleaned out. There was no repair. And, uh, but it just wasn't improving. And, and, I'm, and because I'm an honest person, I'll tell you the whole story. I was getting laser hair removal for my, for my chest and back. And uh, it was, we, my wife and I were able to start to see things. And, you know, a couple of months, weeks later, whatever it was, I had two and a half centimeters of a precancerous mole cut out of my chest. And then all of a sudden, my shoulder started to move okay. So that's why nothing was working to get my shoulder to do what I wanted it to do, because there was a medical thing going on 
And if I didn't change that, not only would my show. So in the meantime, some doofus would probably have me, you know, wrapping my arm around a, a rubber band and, and draping it off the side of the rack and trying to do sleeper stretch. When in fact, my pain in my shoulder was related to a medical condition that, you know, potentially could have been life threatening if we continued with it. So that's number one. Your pain, the triangles rehab means your pain is medical. And until you have magnetic vision or you have a, a, a PET scan that comes out of your eyes, you have no idea whether that person's shoulder pain is uh, medical, whether it's orthopedic. So maybe it's not life-threatening, but it's a rotator cuff tear. So you're going to try to do your little sleeper stretch on a, on a, on a, on a, a type 5 acromion. And of course, because uh, you're the greatest trainer in the world, you even know what a type 5 acromion is. Um, we want everything to be neuromuscular. We want it to. We want to put a little uh, pink rubber band around your knee, and then you press out. You know, as we learned from reactive neuromuscular training, Mike Voigt and Greg Cook, 2006. You know, the, we we want that, but you can't assume that. And until you are cleared, you know, at, 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 at uh, elite levels of satisfaction, that your pain is not uh, medical and it is not orthopedic, then you can have at it with all your little, you know, silly corrective stuff. Um, and see what happens if that's the kind of trainer that you want to be and how you want to uh, pay uh, uh, pay your bills. But that's what training was rehab was about. It was about everybody working together because let's say it was orthopedic in the shoulder. We know that there could be contributions from other parts of the body that are non-painful. You know, like our favorite, uh, which really never happens unless you're like this unique rotary athlete. You know, loss of hip internal rotation on one side equals shoulder pain on the opposite side. Fine, let's say that it's possible. Yeah, because of course it is possible. It doesn't happen. But the uh, so now uh, you're going to do something to work on the the opposite side hip because it's not painful. It's in your warranty. Uh, even if you don't do it well, you'll try your best. Um, that could potentially open up time. For the chiro and physical therapist who maybe has a very traditional insurance model who only has 8 to 15, 8 to 22 minutes with their client. Of course, it's only 8 to 22 because then you can bill for one unit. Uh, they, 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 they now have this other time that someone who's using the same thought process and the same model. So now who wins? The client wins. The patient wins because now they're getting really what they need and they're not just being mailed in. Uh, like we see in a lot of uh, traditional healthcare models. I don't think you can do what it is that I'm saying without the SFMA. Um, and you certainly can't do it without a like-mindedness among healthcare and fitness professionals. And that's what I tried to accomplish with Training Equals Rehab, to try to establish this commonality. Yeah, Charlie, I absolutely agree on that. I think the co-management of clients and patients, it's paramount for optimal results. And at the end of the day, if we're not doing things to get the best results possible for our clientele, then there's something wrong with you as a practitioner or you as a coach. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think there's a uh, hidden levels and sometimes it's hard to hear through my voice, but there's a, there's a level of humility that Train Eagles Rehab you know, really tried to establish where not everybody can do everything and you don't have to. You, know, it's just, you just have to know it matters and uh, maybe someone else is a better person than you to do it. Man, Charlie, it's been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate your time here, as does the audience. Uh, one last question. Where can people find more about you, your products, uh, where you're going to be speaking, all of that? My website is very simple, charliewinegroff.com. Uh, I'm Charlie Weingroff on Facebook, CWagon75 uh, on Twitter. Twitter is where I kind of do most of uh, you know, you know, fitness or professional-related stuff. Um, Facebook is a little bit uh, whimsical. I'm not, uh, I'm not immature. I'm just whimsical. So, uh, 
Yeah, and I, I do a lot of work with Perform Better. Yeah, I work with Nike. So um, there, these are some great companies that uh, I've been uh, privileged to uh, to be promoted by. And uh, yeah, but the website is usually where you know a lot of people will find me for the first time. Perfect, man. I, I appreciate your time today. I'm glad we were able to get this done. Yeah, you got it, man. Man, what an episode. I might have to go back and re-listen to this one about 10 times in order to take the amount of notes that this one deserves. Big thanks goes out to Charlie Weingroff for joining the Straight Doc Podcast today. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. John Russell.